Hey guys, how's it going? <laughs> I was just giving Samantha a lot of shit about the last episode where she was like, all right, all right. I um, said I'm just going to be like Matthew McConaughey and all right, all right, all right. That's what I was going to start making the reference to. Is, we're going to change your name to Matthew. Eek, okay. That's all right. He's hot. You can, he doesn't wear deodorant though. I don't, I'm not close. I don't know him. I just get to look at him. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. He's hot. It's fair. So it's been three days. How's your studio build going? Oh, holding me accountable. I love it. Okay, well, this is how it's going. I'm being drowned. Yeah. By the rain. Literally being drowned. We, I, I said that I was enlisting the help of my 16-year-old and her friend to help finish the roof. We got all of the trusses up. We got everything framed up. And then my son-in-law, who is a roofer, came out to help me put the, the boards up. Mm-hmm. to get it in the dry and of course I don't have enough material so we get more than half of it up and we're like okay well we'll come back and do it later and you know because I mean it was late and it decided to down pour rain it's like rained so much so much like we've gotten more rain I'm not kidding than probably like years we have got so much rain so when I went out a couple days ago or yesterday or whatever. Okay, so here's my other thing. I really don't like bugs. I really don't like them, <laughs> specifically spiders. And here where we're building, rattlesnakes are a real thing. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of rattlesnakes. And so I want the studio to be really, really, really tight. I don't want cracks. I don't want holes. I don't want like everything. So it's sealed really tight. Like it's framed and then the OSB board or whatever is put on the outside. And then I have caulked all of the seams, like where the the framing goes. It's tight. So when it rained and the rain came in, the, it can't get out. the water couldn't get out. <laughs> And so when I stepped into it, I mean, you should have seen the look of defeat that came over me. Like I was like, oh my God, there was, I mean, four inches of standing water everywhere. Yeah. And what do you do? So I had to drill holes in the floor to get it to drain, which pisses me off. But at any rate, my son-in-law helped me put plastic over it. (laughs) He's a monkey. I swear to God, he just jumps up there. So we put plastic over the top to keep the rain out. Oh my gosh, it was such a shit show. And then it rained so hard that the plastic sagged. Yeah, and it got little like pockets. Little pockets. Oh my God. And then I'm standing underneath it and the plastic falls. And I hate being wet. Hate being wet i mean like one thing that will set me off it was my favorite thing as a kid to spray you with a hose you'd get so pissed spray me with a hose or spray me with a squirt gun and i will lose my shit i will go from zero to pissed in 0.7 seconds like i hate being wet and i was drenched about the time samantha rolls up with a 16 by 20 tarp and she is like sitting in the car like oh shit do i get out do i get out what do i do what do i do what do i do anyway so then we got out and we put a tarp over it and about halfway through it i mean my long sleeve shirt was so wet that i couldn't i couldn't raise my arm because it was full of water well and it's just so much water that it's like five inches of just mud out there so i like ate crap trying to go out there yeah, and i can't. just laid there i laid in the mud and mom's like are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm like, I just quit. I'm just gonna lay here in the mud and let the rain <laughs> hit me. We don't need a studio. It's fine. Our sound quality is great. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. <sighs> but we got it tarped and and I got fans and heaters in there to dry out the subfloor. And I mean, I always say this and I, and it sucks. Like it sucks when it's going on. But this is what makes everything worth it. Yeah. And it's the stories, you know, a, a six months or a year from now when we're sitting on the wraparound porch, you know, having a, having drinking iced tea and eating a burger or whatever on the porch will be like, remember when? And it'll be funny. And it's what makes memories, really. Mm-hmm. The struggle is what makes the memories. So, yeah, I mean, it's. It's hard. We've had we've had a ton of challenges building this studio. A ton of challenges from having to tear the whole thing down all the way to the um, you know to the the pillars to rebuild the foundation to 
to people not showing up to, you know, friendships ending where the, those are the people who I counted on to help me. I mean, like, it's just been one thing after another. However, it's going to get done. Yeah. And here very, very shortly, we're going to be in our studio and it's going to be like, we did, we did this. Yeah. And it was hard and there were challenges, but we did it. And that's what makes it worth it. Okay, there's your little inspirational <laughs> speech for the day. But really, I mean, it sucks. It sucks right now. Yeah. It sucks. It's supposed to, like, it didn't rain today, so hopefully it dried out a little bit. But it's supposed to rain, like, all week, too. But I am so, so grateful for the strength and the knowledge and the ability to do this on my own. Yeah. I am. Yeah. I'm so grateful for that. And it's going to make it worth it. And it's going to be, I mean, it's going to be there forever. And forever we're going to be like, remember when. For sure. And it's going to be awesome. And look at her. She's so motivational. But it's coming along. It's not in the dry yet. It's only been a couple days, but, um, but it is coming along. And I, and and I am going to hit the goal. I am (laughs) going to hit it on, you know, and we have plans tomorrow to get the rest of the roof on. And, you know, it's all framed in. The studio is all framed in, ready for it just to be in the dry and, I've got, you know, wires strung and the nice thing about where we're building in Wyoming in the county is there's no inspections and people, if you own the land, you can build your own stuff. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean to hook, to hook everything up, then you have to have a licensed person come out and just make sure that everything is copacetic, which I would do anyway, but, um, it's going to get done and I'm going to hit the goal. It's going to get done. And it's going to be beautiful. And we're going to be so happy in just a few weeks. Yeah. And not that we're not happy now, but it's going to, and it's going to be so worth it because struggles are what makes things worth it. That's fair. That's and fair. So life lesson. There you go. There you there's go. Little, there's your mom life lesson for the there's day. Your, <laughs> there's your little inspirational whatever for the day. Yeah. That's funny. But anyway, well, let's, let's get going on this. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Oh all right. Um, Matthew. Um, <laughs> I'm see tra- what I have to put up. Uh, I'm Tracy. I'm Samantha. This is the suspended sentence. It's a Samantha case. Yay. Samantha. Woo-hoo. So this is a case that I heard about years ago and I just kind of randomly think about from time to time. And you randomly so, just think about murders? I figure this is probably, if I think about it, more than a couple times a year, I probably should just cover it. Really? You know what I mean? It's like, eventually I need to cover, like, JonBenet Ramsey. Like, there's just some oh, cases. Can we not? There's just some cases that you just think about sometimes. Really? No, no, I don't know because you I don't. You get done and you just don't think about them anymore? Oh, sometimes they just stick in my brain and they're just ones that I can't. Um, some, some do for a little while, but not like, not for a long time. Oh yeah. I've known about this for probably five years. I've had enough childhood trauma though, that I can proportion my mind to let shit go. Like when I'm done, I'm done. Mm. When I say I'm done with something, I'm done with it. I mean, that's fair. Well, but obviously not you. Not me. So let's, not me. Let's I mean, this. I guess thanks for not the childhood trauma. So that's cool, I guess. But You're welcome. I tried. <laughs> not that you don't have childhood trauma. Samantha is like my original ride or die. This poor girl has gone through it all with me. She grew up with me. I had her when I was 20. So I... Dude, imagine me having a seven-year-old right now. I was not... Wow. I was not a good mom. I mean... Whatever. I, you were a good mom. I've made some pretty decent mistakes. I've <laughs> I've exposed you to some. I don't know. We're best friends and have a podcast together, so clearly you weren't too bad. Yeah, but to my standards, I feel like anyway. Whatever. We digress. We're done with the mental. <laughs> with the so therapy today we're going to be covering the Las Feliz Murder House. Oh, never heard of it. Never heard of it. Oh my no. gosh. So this is a mystery in a lot of ways. So I'm kind of interested in like sharing this case and getting your opinion on what you kind of think happened here because according to the police we don't know what caused these events to happen Hmm. i kind of have a good idea and i feel like you'll probably just pop off with your well here's why but according to the police we don't know what caused these nightmarish things to happen okay so our story is going to take place at 2475 Glendower Place in Las Feliz, California, which is a suburb of Los Angeles. Um, and this house is 
beautiful. Uh, it sits at a little over 5,000 square feet. It has five bedrooms, four baths, and sits on a little over half an acre lot. Okay. So big, beautiful, mansionous house. Especially <laughs> in that area. Yeah. This house last sold in 2020 for $2.9 million, according to Realtor.com. And I do want to read the property description from that listing because I think it paints a good picture of kind of what's happening here. The listing says, major price improvement. Seller is motivated and ready to sell. Attention developers, contractors, here's a unique opportunity in prime Las Feliz, a neighborhood that is home to the movie stars, musicians, and Hollywood elite. Perched on a hill with sweeping views sits a five-bedroom, four-bath Spanish Revival home on a large lot. Features include a grand entrance with step-down living room embraced with scenic views, a formal dining room, a library and study, large entertaining kitchen, and a ballroom or multi-purpose room if that's how you choose to use it um, on the third floor. This house features a three-car garage at street level plus an additional two-car garage at the end of the driveway for those that collect. This, proper, this special opportunity awaits the right buyer with a vision for real value by doing a remodel or a ground-up development. Property is not going to qualify for financing, so property interior has been taken down to its studs. Oh. Seller is looking for a cash or a hard money offer. Seller's financing may be, may be available. For $2.9 million. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Interesting listing, right? I mean, it seems like, Yeah. <laughs> like we're motivated but you can't get financing on this house and we'll find out why you can't get financing on this house and it's 2.9 million which yeah. I mean I don't know the California market but I would read that as an investor I would read that and be like <laughs> kick rocks when it's to the studs on the inside right like it's a shell of a home right so this house was also so like I said it was bought in 2020 and it was relisted in July of 2022 and listed for over five million dollars this listing was imme- was even removed by November of the same year. Hmm. It wasn't sold or anything. It was just the listing was taken off. This house was originally built in 1925. Okay. So really old. And the house was built for Harry Shoemaker, who would live in the home until he passed away in 1932. He died December 6, 1932, in the home. Tracy's really, really into numbers, so I do want you to pay attention to the date there. So December 6th. After he passed, it's not going to come up for a little while, so just put that in the back of your little noggin. <laughs> After he passed, the home would sell to Frederick Zelit, Zeldick, who was a German, who was from Germany and was producer of silent films in California. Other than this, there's not really much information about why he sold the home, but we just know he did sometime in the 1950s. There's not like an actual sale date on this, which is interesting. I could not find a sale date. Okay. So this should be the sort of home that families would love to live in, right? It's beautiful. Yeah, it's in great the hills of California. With the elite. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's a three-story Spanish-style home nestled in the hills of Los Angeles with nearby homes in immaculate condition. This should be something that people would be very proud to live in, but not for the Los Feliz home. Because of its dark, bloody history that has kept neighbors and visitors concerned and terrified about what has gone on here. This house would sell from um, Frederick Zeldick to Harold and Lilia, Lillian Perelson. And I want to talk a little bit about the couple before we go into what actually happened here. Okay. So Harold was born February 1st, 1909 in New York. He had three siblings and he was the oldest child. His parents were immigrants to America and they were here to give their family the American dream. His father was from Poland and his mother from Russia. And they instilled in their children that if you work really, really hard, that you can get whatever you want. It's America, right? It's the early 1900s. Like, that's <laughs> why people you know were moving right, here. It's right. that American dream. So Harold decided very early on that he wanted to go to medical school, and he worked really hard to achieve this goal. He was known to be very brilliant, and he went to medical school in New York and later moved to California, where he would meet and marry Lillian Silver. Lillian had moved to California a few years prior from Ohio. He worked his way up the ladder and built his name a name for himself fairly quickly, and he did medical research. He spoke around the country about findings and mostly focused in neuro, neurology. Okay. Uh, but he got a job due to all the success as a professor, um, as head of cardiology, which I thought was interesting because he was specializing in neurology. In neurology, yeah. So that was interesting to me. Um, but he got a teaching job at USC. 
Oh, USC! That's where I went to school! <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that. Woo-woo! <laughs> so when he was not teaching, he was working at Los Angeles <coughs> County General um, on the cardiology surgical team. Once again, interesting because that wasn't his, like, specialty. Right. Uh, he was making really, really good money. He's a professor and a surgeon. He's yeah. making good money. And at this point, him and Lillian had had three children. So Judy um, was born July 31st, 1941. Jewel was born April 7th, 1946, and Debbie, February 16th, 1948. The couple decided at this point, he's making good money. We've got three kids. Like, we need to buy a home. Like, mm-hmm. it's time to, time to do that. They immediately fell out in love with the home at four, or 2475 Glendower Place, and they would purchase it for $60,000, which today would be about half a million dollars. Sure. So Harold um, was also becoming, was no was becoming known for being a very prominent doctor in the Los Angeles area, as well as a very talented injection specialist. Um, and he was working to figure out, like, why headaches happened. He was really into, like, researching, like, what causes headaches, mm-hmm. how to stop them. Uh, Back to neurology. <laughs> right. So he's all over the place, right? But some people, I mean, it's not, a, it is uncommon, but, I mean, to have two spe- specialties, I mean, yeah. that's, isn't completely far-fetched. No, especially if he's really smart, which clearly he was. Right. So he was also really interested in coming up with a solution on... So when you get injections, a little bit of the liquid you lose when you do injections because it... Yep. I don't know how to describe that, but you know what I'm talking about. It Like, mm-hmm. you don't get all of the injections. So that's why they put more in a canister than what you need because yep. you lose some. And he was really, really interested in coming up with something that would stop this from happening so that you could just use what you needed instead of wasting medications and stuff. Um, On December 30th of 1938, he filed a patent for a tool that he had designed to stop this. And after years and years of working on this product to get it correct, he was looking for financial backing. In 1949, he he entered a verbal agreement with a man named Edward Shustak, in the agreement, they said that they would split profits 50-50, and Harold and Lillian um, would also invest $20,000 into the project, 7000 of which coming from Lillian's private savings. We love a wife that supports her husband. She's like, I believe do in we, what you're doing. Do we? <laughs> Is that what we do? A wife that supports her husband. We love that. We love it. Oh. We love to see it. I don't okay. know if you could tell my sarcasm Okay. That. Yeah, we love that a lot because that's... <laughs> Well, I'm going to stop. <laughs> unfortunately for both of them, Ed was a con artist. What? Are you surprised? And that wasn't even his real name. <laughs> so after working with Harold she- for 11 years, this man worked with Harold for 11 years, ran off with all of the profit and the patent to the, to the tool. I'm so shocked. Dipped out. So Harold and Lillian were like, we're going to sue you. You can't just do that. And on July 21st, 1952, they filed a petition to try and recover some of this money, as well as the rights to the invention. (laughs) So the court did sue, and um, in the lawsuit, Harold wanted $100,000 from Ed. And after two years and lawyer's fees and court costs, the court awarded um, Harold and Lillian $22,000. Only $2,000 more than his initial investment into into the company. Why? Yeah, that's just what he was awarded. Huh. Isn't that wild? So not a super great start. They have this brand new home that they just purchased. Now they've lost all of this money. Right. Not super. It's not the Betrayed way that you by their friends. want to go into this. Right. Yeah, after working with somebody for 11 years, you have a pretty good relationship with them. You would think. Yeah, so that sucks. So everyone knew the couple. Um, everyone that knew the couple said that Harold was a very um, mild manner, man, mild-tempered man. Can't say words today. And by all accounts, they the couple seemed really happy. So bad luck would continue for the couple, though. Judy, their, the couple's oldest daughter, on November 3rd of 1957, would get into a car accident in Vermont. She and the two younger children were in the car, and she was driving Harold's 52 Oldsmobile. She went into an intersection and was hit by another car, and all three children were injured. So Judy received cuts and bruises to her hands and knees and a concussion. Joel had a head injury, and it was quoted in the article that I read, severe shock to his nervous system. Ooh. Um, And Debbie had her cheek cut open. So the other car in the accident said that Judy just blew through the intersection and she caused the accident. 
Judy said the same thing about the other driver. But Harold would end up suing the other driver, saying that Judy was very responsible, loved her younger siblings, and would never act carelessly in an intersection with the children in the car. Mm -hmm. So he wanted $20,000 for Judy's injuries and $10,000 for Jules. And apparently Debbie's face was just chopped liver because he didn't want any money for her face. (laughs) So he won the case, but he was only given um, the medical bills, Mm -hmm. which is pretty standard. Like... Asking $30,000 for cuts and bruises is a little... Well, pain and suffering and trauma. I mean, yeah. usually you do get something, but... Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I thought medical bills was pretty standard. Medical bills is very standard, but it's... I I find it in, in what I've seen. I I think that it's, it's a little weird that he didn't get anything, especially considering that they're children. Oh. That the other driver was found in fault and that they didn't get... Something. Some kind of trauma... I can't think of what that's called. I don't know why I'm drawing a blank. I say the word all the time. Um, whatever. What is the word? I don't know. You said pain and suffering, but... But there's a word for it. It's like... I can't think of the word. We get your gist. Um, so, again, another loss when you take into consideration court fees and lawyer's fees. Yeah. So, he's winning these court cases. It's just not to the extent that he's... Yeah, he's clearly seeking money. Asking for. Right. So another thing that was very prominent in everything that I read was Harold liked to. I'm not that I'm not that he's like my because if my kids were in an accident and it was somebody else's fault, I would sue too. Right. I mean, I'm not saying. Right. Um, that everything everywhere I read said that Harold liked to read, and um, those that knew him said around the same time he's kind of started to read some really dark and oppressive books. Um, his attitude started to change around the late 1950s, and he seemed really grouchy and started to get seemed pretty unhappy. Like his demeanor. Sure. Took a really abrupt change. Um, and so here we are. It is now December 6th, 1959. Okay. Do you remember the date I told yeah. you to remember? I remember numbers. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So it's December 6th, 1959, and this will be the last time officially anybody will ever live in this home. Oof. It's around 5.30 p.m., and Harold comes home from work. He, um... Gets home, he hangs out with Lillian, who's wrapping Christmas presents. Um, the couple was Jewish, but they, over the last few years, had decided that they were going to start celebrating Christmas with family and friends. Uh, he sat with her, they wrapped Christmas presents, the family had dinner together, everyone chatted, seemed to enjoy themselves, seemed like a typical, typical evening. They all cleaned up, and the whole family went into the, the TV room and watched, watched TV together. Lillian and Harold went up and tucked Debbie, who was 11 at the time, and Joel, who was 13, into bed, said their goodnight, and then went to Judy's room, who was 18, and working on homework, and said goodnight, and told them that they were heading to bed. Lillian went to their bedroom, she read for a bit, and then went to bed, and the entire time after this, Harold was downstairs watching TV, and did not come up to the room until after Lillian had gone to bed. Harold went into the room and read Dante's Divine Comedy. Have you ever heard of this book? Uh Uh-uh. So it's a poem book that tells a story about traveling through hell, purgatory, and then finally making it to paradise. Oh. So kind of not, I don't know that that seems like a great, like, a bedtime story, (laughs) in my opinion. Um, So he reads for a little bit. He underlines some passages in his book, and he goes to bed himself. Around 5 a.m., he wakes up, just abruptly goes downstairs to his toolkit and he grabs a ball ping hammer walks back into him and Lillian's room walks up to his wife and smacks her in the back of the head with the hammer holy shit yep um the coroner confirmed that she did not die immediately but she was unable to scream because she was asphyxiating on her own blood that's how hard he hit her with the hammer oh my god after this he just walks out of the room and enters his 18 year old daughter Judy's room and does the exact same thing to her as he did to, as to Lillian. What? Yeah. His aim was slightly off this time as he struck jo- Jody, or Judy, though, and she woke up. And he hit her in the head, but not to the extent that he had hit Lillian. So she starts screaming. Like, imagine how jarring that is to wake up to. Like, yeah. A, head pain is, like, and then, a completely different oh thing. And you're, like, asleep. It's 5.30 in the morning. Or 5 in the morning. So she starts screaming. She doesn't know who's attacking her. She doesn't know what's happening. 
Neighbors woke up to her screaming. She was screaming so loud. Oh, my God. Um, Harold told her, quote, and neighbors heard this, lay still and keep quiet. Due to Judy's screams, Jewel and Debbie wake up, her younger siblings. They go out into the hallway where Harold walks out and goes, go back to bed. This is all just a nightmare. They just stare at him because he's covered in blood. They're terrified. They're 11 and 13. He goes over to the children, calmly walks them to their beds, tucks them back in, and walks out of the room. As soon as he leaves the sight of the children, they run out of the room and go downstairs. They make it to the entryway where they come face-to-face with their neighbor named Marshall Ross, who had, seen, um, who had seen Judy, who had escaped from her room. She had, when, when Harold was taking the kids back to their room, she ran into go get her mother. Sees her mom. Finds oh, her mother. No. And takes down the stairs while he's in the kid's room. And she hauls butt to any neighbor that will answer their door. I can't even imagine. Um, So she, like I said, she goes in there. The first neighbor doesn't answer. So then she goes and knocks on Marshall Ross, the neighbor that sees the kid's um, house. He immediately opens the door, gets her on the couch, gets her something to compress on her head. He calls the police. While the police are on their way... Um, he heads back over to J- Judy's house to try and get the kids away from Harold. Oh. Marshall said that he could see Harold just walking the hallways through the windows. Harold walks by the front door, looks at Marshall, and says, go home, don't bother me. Oh my gosh. Like, how eerie. So Harold then, he, so Marshall's standing on the front porch. He gets the kids out on the lawn. Harold is, there's like a bathroom from the entryway that you can see. And Harold goes into the bathroom, starts digging through his medicine cabinet for a while, throwing bottles out, all of this, and he eventually finds what he's looking for. He is pulling out a bottle of Nimbutrol. Oh! So I'm going to kind of pass the torch to you for a minute before I continue here and give us a little bit of information on Nimbutrol. (laughs) That is, Dr. Death calls that the premier drug for ending life. Oh, perfect. Okay. Yeah. Wow. He pulls out, did he take the drugs? Yes. He does. He will, he will end up taking the drugs, yes. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> this is a nasty drug. Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, Dr. Death refers to it as the premier drug for ending life. Yeah. <laughs> um, holy shit. Okay, so this, let me think here for a second. Um, it's a barbiturate, right? Categ- indexing in my brain right now. I think so, yeah. Okay, it acts as a depressant or a sedative. It... It is used also, though, for emergency treatment for seizure disorders, but it's given to patients, like, to put them asleep during surgery. Oh, wow. Like, it's, it's, it's a serious drug. It's a very, very serious drug. Do you know why people would be <coughs> prescribed this? For sleeping. For, like, if you have insomnia As a sedative. He's a doctor. I mean, yeah, he can get it however He's he a wants, doctor. But- Right. It's a Schedule 2 controlled substance, if I'm, if I'm remembering cor- correctly. Okay. I mean, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a... She, I got to do her disclosure here real quick. I got to do my disclosure <laughs> here. Um, so it can be super addictive, but not likely. And I think that it is... Su- Didn't Marilyn Monroe die taking this drug? I'm pretty sure. And I think Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, because you can overdose very, very, very easily on this drug. Very easily. So cute. It's, I mean, it's given to people to put them to sleep in major surgeries. It's a no-joke drug, dude. Well, I Googled the drug as well, and the very first thing that popped up is the suicide helpline. Yeah. Yeah. Like, literally, before even, like, a bio or anything, it just said, if you're seeking, if you're needing help, here's the text number. Yeah. It can make you, it can make people, I mean, think about any time that you have gone under for surgery, right? You have problems with memory, problems with concentration, you've got major brain fog. For, what do they say that, like, for every hour that you're under, it takes 24 hours to recover? Yeah. I mean, it has, <clears throat> it has a pretty significant, you know, but it can also cause aggression, irritability, it can make you super angry, it can make you super unpredictable. I mean, it's... <laughs> it's a no joke nasty ass drug oh that's fantastic yeah and he just has this in their medicine cabinet in their house yeah 
Yeah, but he's a doctor, so that's not super surprising. Yeah. Well, Harold would take two of these pills. Oh. And finish his nice little cocktail of those off with 31 other pills that they didn't identify. Yeah, he's he died, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So after popping his 33 pills, mm-hmm. he walks back into his room and lays down on the bed with his wife. Around 5.15, police arrive at the home. So it, this starts at 5 a.m. By 5.15, police are at the scene. Yeah. Um, they find him on the floor, not on the bed, still holding the hammer. He didn't make it to bed. That's how quickly it happened? I don't know. They did say that he had a blood-soaked pillow that he had his head on. That they're not sure if it was his wife's or if he had grabbed it while walking there and it was Judy's. Ugh. I mean, the head, we we know oh, how yeah. head wounds bleed. I mean, this was a scene. Oh, yeah. Um, One of the neighbors across the street, um, her name's Sharon. She was 14 at the time and she babysat the two younger kids. Mm-hmm. Um, That was the first house that Judy ran to. And the girls, she had been having a sleepover, and she, in a couple interviews, said that she had woke up to her banging on the door, but they didn't. she didn't know what was happening. She was too scared to go check the door because she didn't know if it was someone breaking into their house and now coming to her house. Yeah. And the next morning, she said the entire, her entire front door was covered in blood. Oh, my gosh. Like, Those poor oh, kids. So scary of a scene. So, like I said, the police find him still, he's laying on the floor, he's still holding the hammer, and that book, Dante's Divine Comedy, is still on his nightstand, but it is no longer closed. He has it open and to a certain page, and this page is to Canto 1, and it is underlined and says, Midway upon the journey of our life, I find myself within a forest dark, for the straightforward path has been lost. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just creepy and kind of puts you into his head a little bit of like where he was at mentally to me. Yeah. Um, so he was still alive when police arrived. He was still breathing. He was like unconscious, but he was still breathing. By the time the ambulance arrived, he was, he was gone. After everything. So everybody, this is like, obviously all of his neighbors are like this nice doctor, like. Right. Brutally attacks his entire family and kills himself like what it comes out that harold had tried to complete suicide multiple times in the months leading up to this um and lillian had known and she had stopped his previous attempts and had been trying to get him admitted it's the 1950s she's a woman he's a prominent doctor in the medical community she had a very hard time and nobody would help her get him admitted yeah so now we have three. And think about mental health in the 50s. Yeah. I mean, we still have horror stories of asylums that were still... Mental health was not taken seriously in the in the 50s. Yeah. It it wasn't. Yeah, and she I had mean, It's the, not taken seriously in 2023, but well, it sure the hell wasn't and in then 1950s. She, yeah, and then she's got the uphill battle of also being a woman at this time. Like, yeah. I mean, honestly. No, for real. So, sadly, now we have three. Judy did live, thank God. God, she lived, but still think about the trauma of that. Um, So now we have three orphans. Yeah. Um, They were cared for by Lillian's family, and the house sold a year later at auction to a couple who would never move in. Um, The house didn't have tenants, and the house just kind of seemed frozen in time with no occupants, and the world just seemed to carry on. I did find, and I'm not going to say the kids' married names. All three children are married and have children of their own now. Um, they're all still alive, like, Done. living. But I'm not going to say, like, married no, names don't. because if they ever want to tell their story, that's their yeah, story to tell. Can. Yeah. So, but <laughs> things weren't exactly normal, as you'd think of an abandoned home that has been having all this go on in it. If you looked in the window, you would see retro furniture, um, sheets, Draped over items, rotting wood, a black and white TV, um, and a Christmas tree. Yeah. For years and years and years and years after this. Yeah. Um, inside this mansion, um, it certainly resembled kind of a B-grade horror movie, you know? It kind of seemed like a set. If you're not, like, if you didn't know what was happening and you're looking, like, it was frozen in time, this house. 
Um, they didn't the, go in and clean it or anything? There wasn't any bloodstains <laughs> present, but they didn't pull any of the furniture or anything out. Oh. Um, so the horror of the attack kind of washed away, was washed away after, right before the sale went through, through the auction. Um, this couple, like I said, never moved in. They never moved a tenant in. They kind of just purchased it and never did anything with it. Um, but that couple eventually passed, and then the house was left to their son, Rudy Enriquez, who chose also not to live in the home. He told neighbors that he was just going to use the house for storage. Um, what? Who yep. buys a house just for mm-hmm. storage? Well, he didn't buy it. It was passed from his parents. Yeah, but why? I know. I, know. I don't know if they, like, Because even if, even if you own it, you still have to pay property taxes on it. You still have to upkeep it. You still have to maintain it. You still have to... Houses are expensive. Why would you do nothing with it? I know. You know, unless you just have so much damn money that you don't... I don't know. That doesn't make any sense, though, in my mind, but... That's what I'm saying. So, like I said, the Christmas tree has always been, like, the most eerie, and you can see pictures of people that have, like, you know, looky-loos that want to go and look in the windows and stuff. Sure. Um, you, they're creepy pictures. I mean, it Mm -hmm. is frozen in time, the home. So, perhaps those who visited the house kind of felt the deep unease about what had happened there. I'm sure it's got an eerie... Oh, I think the energy it, in there cannot yeah, be good. No, especially this isn't even the first death. No. I mean, the very first owner died there December 6th right. as well. Right. It's a weird coincidence. It's a weird coincidence, right? Mm-hmm. So suddenly, um, a lot of people say they suddenly would feel uncomfortable. Visitors have spoken about wanting to leave immediately and never go back. Uh, but they can't articulately, articulate exactly why they felt that way. Yeah. And like we said, the vibe has to be Oh, energy horrible is real. There. Yeah. One neighbor, Sherry, the one that I was telling you about that was 14 at the time, she said that a friend once attempted to go explore the mansion, um, but apparently was bitten by a black spider as she was trying to get into the home, um, which then triggered the alarm. She said two nights later, the alarm kept going off um, at the house, but no one was there. She said it was like a ghost was there. Oh, weird. So neighbors are adamant that they don't want any publicity for the neighborhood because each time an article appears about the house, people arrive at the cul-de-sac, watch the house nervously from their car. Some will get out and wander the driveway, peer through the windows, hoping to catch a ghostly figure or see the 1950s house that was frozen in time. Right. So um, you only need to issue a death disclosure on a property if a death occurred within the last three years. Right. So, while a realtor wouldn't be obligated to detail what happened in this house or the history of the house, its reputation kind of precedes itself here. So, in 2016, controversial attorney Lisa Bloom, who is best known for representing um, Harvey Weinstein, she purchased the home from from the tenants before here, (laughs) from Rudy. Uh, the home needed extensive work, to say the least. It's yeah. been empty for right. years and years and years. Uh, she bought it for $2.29 million, and Bloom was determined to remodel the rotting, rotting minting, matching, and move into it herself. That was her, that was her goal. Okay. So, by decades of the old murders and horror stories, she was frightened, frightened off by something a little bit more frightening than just the ghosts and the stories. Building codes made the weedy hill upon which the home sat a very pricey problem for her. In fact, the entire property would need to be demolished and the hill would have to be flattened because of building codes, how they've oh. changed. So this brought necessary preparations up by 50% of the home's cost. Yeah. So Bloom had already stripped the home down to its studs from the article from okay. the very beginning. Um, and decided she was just going to put it back on the market in 2019. Yeah. Less than a year later, LLC represented by, I'm going to say his name wrong, F.I. Zaliki, he's the CEO of Lexa Manor Custom Homes, purchased the shell of the home for $2.35 million. So normally this house would be a good candidate for like a historical home protection um, due to the age of it, but it has sat empty for 64 years as a reminder of December 6th. So most of the community yeah. is okay with that one going away. For 64 years, no one has lived in this home. 
Yeah. Interesting. What are your thoughts? Why do you think he did this? Well, my instinct is to say, how old was he? He was in his 40s, mm, 50s. So this happened in 50, he would have been 50s, yeah. Late, late 40s, early 50s? Yeah, because he was born in 09. Okay, when do people go through midlife crises? 40s, 50s. 40s, 50s. What was the passage in the book talking about? When you get to the middle of your life and the path isn't clear and you have a choice to make. Mm -hmm. So I, I would say that. And then you could take into consideration the betrayal, the financial issues, the everything that, that was going on at the same time that he hit this. Uh, going with my theory, his midlife crisis, and there was no way out. And, and mental health again in the 50s was not a thing. Men do not talk about mental health. Mm -hmm. if a man is if a man is sad or overwhelmed or overworked or whatever I mean he better like literally just shut up and suck it up put your cowboy boots on and freaking get to work I mean men do not have outlets and I'm not saying that that's right and I mean everybody knows I don't I don't like a lot of men um but for real like they get the short end of the stick when it comes to mental health they do not have outlets to help them especially in the 50s um, and the fact that his wife had been trying to get him mental health help tells me that he had a mental break. Right. He also is a prominent doctor, a professor. Uh, he's got this image to uphold and he doesn't get the latitude to say, I don't know which direction I'm going. People are betraying me. I'm not, I'm not financial. I'm in over my head. I'm overwhelmed. I'm overworked. I'm, you know, I've got all these people that depend on me. I've got all of these responsibilities. I've got all of this stuff whatever he he had a mental breakdown is what i think do you think though because he was he went i mean he read and then he went he underlined that passage he went to sleep he slept for till 5 a.m and then maybe 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 he slept maybe he didn't maybe he tossed and turned maybe he couldn't sleep maybe he was fighting you know insomnia maybe he maybe he wasn't just because it happened at five o'clock doesn't mean that he woke up at five o'clock he could have been up all night yeah contemplating right yeah. So, now, if we're going to say that women can have mental breakdowns due to hormonal changes and, I mean, whatever, why would that not be a reasonable explanation for a man? It's true. It's very true. That's yeah, true. I mean, and but women, we, we can talk about our feelings. We can say, yo, you hurt me. We can say, I'm feeling da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Men don't get that latitude. So why do you think, because there's, and I'll tell you what the internet theory is after I get your opinion. There is, he attacked Judy. Mm -hmm. And then he walks the children back in, tucks them in. He could have been, he could have panicked and attacked them right then and, you know, finished through. Do you think his intention was going to be to kill everybody or do you think I think his intention, after? I think his intention was to kill everyone. I think that as a father and and taking into consideration his responsibility, I think that probably what his intention was is to start at the oldest and work the way down. And when you have a plan, you can't you you really, I mean, it has to go according to plan or the whole thing is shot, right? So, you got to you got to take people out in level of threat resistance right mm. so you got to start with mom and then you got to go 18 I mean, you got to work down in progression right um and so i think that probably he was going to kill everyone and then kill himself mm. i think is probably what he was going to do so there's an internet theory but people just responded too quickly yeah I mean, everybody that reacted. Because, thankfully, Judy didn't die on impact and... And went and got help. Everybody... Screamed ev- woke everyone up. Everybody reacted in a way that he did not expect or that he did not plan for. Yeah, he just expected everybody to be asleep. And, and he knew. Being. He knew. I, he, he knew that he was... That it wasn't going to get done. And so, he went and found... And he knew exactly what he was doing. He went and got, you know, the magic, the magic pill. Yeah. So I'm not, I don't mean to referring it to like that. Yeah, no, I get you. There, he was, um, military before. So at the Um, beginning, um, and so there's an online theory when, which is interesting because somebody pulled his military records mm -hmm. and 
you know, you list your dependents. He listed that he was married, but Judy was not listed. And at that time, Judy wouldn't have been about one, but wasn't listed as a military dependent. So there's, and then a couple years later, he redid his paperwork. Judy still was not listed, but the other two children were. Oh, interesting. And so an online theory is that maybe she wasn't his child, and that's, it's an online theory, but... I don't think it's sub, like I think it's far fetched. I think it's far fetched, and so I think he was that's far fetched. Out because yeah, and I think that it's a distraction from what it was. A cover we, up. We mm. have we have evidence, and we have you know his wife trying to. This is a mental health issue. Yeah, I mean it is. he had he had a lot he had a lot of shit going on. He had he had, and I'm not. I mean, forgive me here for a second. <laughs> I'm gonna get off. I'm gonna get out of line here, but um. He had a lot of weight on his shoulders. Yeah. A lot. Did his wife work? Probably not. He had all these dependents. He had this big house. He had all these. He had a lot on his shoulders. Mm -hmm. And it was crumbling. Yeah. And he did not have any resources to help him. He snapped. Yeah. Not that what he did was okay. Clearly it's not. But what else was he going to do at that time? Right. What resources were available to him? If he went and got mental health help... He would lose his medical license. He wouldn't be able to teach. That's the truth. He wouldn't. And he would lose his home. He would lose his ability to provide for his family. He would, I mean, any help that he got, especially in the 50s, would have cost him more. Mm -hmm. He was, he was in a, he was backed in a corner. Right. It's really sad. It's absolutely horrific. Um, one of my, like, I... I mean, I love reality TV show TV shows, and I love the show Vanderpump Rules. And there's a girl on there, Stassi Schroeder, who is obsessed with this like story. And when the house first went on, it went on the market in 2018, right before it was purchased. Um, she went and she did a tour of it, and she took some pictures from inside the house because this was before it was gutted. And um, in Judy's room, it's like suit. It was super eerie. You know, like the stickers that you could put around your light switches. Yeah. Her, a light switch with her name engraved in it was still on there. Oh. Like, it was frozen in time. Like, this yeah. house was... They did, yeah. Did, nobody nobody has touched it until the walls were torn down a couple years ago. Oh, that's awful. Thank you for your input, though, because it's... I mean, it does when you look at it from a different stance and not just what... Is out there, you know. I mean, conspiracy theories. I mean, we always want to find some other kind of juicy additive to it, right? As if mental health isn't a big enough additive. Like, yeah. mental health isn't a big enough issue, you know? And, and the crisis that we, that we all deal with there. I mean, that's you know? true. And, you know, and the shitty human beings that are out there that take advantage of good people, you know, that add to this. And this is, I mean... So we got to throw in other stuff. And clearly, who gives a shit if, if the oldest daughter was his or not? Clearly, he took care of her. Mm -hmm. Clearly, he loved her. I mean, clearly, he provided for her. And, you know, and if it wasn't his, I mean, he stayed married. It didn't end the relationship. It didn't whatever. So, mm -hmm. I mean, why, why do we do that? Yeah. Well, the story the, is bad yeah. enough without adding, mm -hmm. you know extra crap yeah because their their argument was he wasn't going to kill the younger ones he was just going to kill mom and judy oh are they are they psychics they know what was in his mind at the time <laughs> they know he wasn't going to kill the younger two how do you know that what evidence is there what what is because there? he didn't attack them when they came out but right. it's like because you said, he though. had a plan in his head of how it needed to go yeah i don't know Ugh, i just can't even imagine like a being those children moving forward, being the neighbors the next day. Dude, being... she's got some lungs on her to scream that loud. Props to her. Like, she literally saved herself and her and her younger siblings. I mean, literally saved them. Yeah. Um, but what I just said about how there's, there's... When somebody has in their head a plan of how things have to work, serial killers have said this. Killers have said this before. This isn't just me, you know, vomiting bullshit. They've said, I mean, when things don't go according to plan, they get more pissed, right? Like they, it has to be a certain way. That's why we find serial killers is because there's so much of the same. Yeah. When you have something planned out in your head, think about, I mean, in a way that you can relate. 
If you have your day scheduled, like I'm going to go to the bank and then I'm going to go to Starbucks and then I'm going to go <laughs> to the car wash and then I'm going to go here and you have like your map drawn out and in your head how everything has to work. And if one thing gets screwed up, if the line is too long at Starbucks, if the bank doesn't open until nine and it's 8.15, if anything, how frustrating is that to you? Oh yeah, very. It'll ruin your whole day. Yeah. Now think if it was something serious like completing suicide. But then the obligation of, I can't leave my family. They need me to survive. So if I'm going to die, I have to take them with me. It's sick and it's morbid, but I mean, I don't know. Interesting case. And Marshall, though, what a freaking, like, honestly, what a badass. Yeah. Imagine it's five in the morning and a bloody teenager shows up on your door and you just run to go try and save the other children. Right. Right. What a man. Holy cow. Yep. Props to Marshall. Marshall, you're the reason that I have such... (laughs) (laughs) This is why everyone's standards... Everybody should find a Marshall. Right, because that's how I think men should be, is to rush in and save everything. So wild of a case. Yeah, that is wild. That's so sad. Such a sad one. So sad. Well, thank you, guys. I thought you were going to make some correlation to how he got possessed by the old guy who died I mean, it could be... And also, here's something else. Okay, I already said thank you, but I'm taking my thank you back. You have to wait a minute. Um, Like I said, you can't find purchase dates. Yeah. And so there's an online theory about this, too, that maybe they bought the house on December 6th, and then it would be 666. Which everybody says is, like, a code for the devil, but if you look up numerology, (laughs) and I'm into numbers, 666 is actually not an evil number. But I see where you're going with it. I see. And it would be 12. So it would be half I mean, of sixes. It would be sixes everywhere. I thought, I thought though, for sure that you were going to make some kind of correlation too. It is kind of weird, though. Don't you think that it is the weird. first owner dies on December 6th and then he tries to kill his It is. I'm just saying, 6th. Internet, if you're going to come up with some kind of conspiracy theory, come up with a conspiracy theory that the old man who originally decided on Dece- died on December 6th turned into a demon who... Possessed him. Possessed I mean, his that body, took him over... And turned him into, you know, even though the the old man who died was a loving, kind, great man, I'm sure, you know, I roll with that one. Not we with, take back our mental health stance. It is actually demonic possession. Demonic possession. That is what, case closed. Case closed. We just solved we it. We solved it. For 60, 70, 64 years later. 70 years later, we solved it. That's what it is. Yeah, the demonic end. possession. Thanks Thank for you. joining us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you for coming on this roller coaster with us. Stay safe. Bye, guys. <laughs>